Tim, right. is that why you never open a freight brokerage again, even if someone pays you because of all the paperwork? Yeah, no, not a chance, not a chance. Um, a freight brokerage is extremely difficult. You are having to please two very difficult to please parties. You've got customers, shippers on one side, expect the lowest price and the best service all the time. Um, if you've created 100 loads for them and 99 really, really well, and one doesn't go, we remember you on that one forever. And then on the other side, the carriers are, you can find a good carrier uh, that is good for a week or two because their they're five, six, seven drivers are good. But the driver turnover is so bad. You know, if you go back to any carrier in the industry today, uh, from one year to the next, 100% of the drivers have changed. They, the, the, the ratio of driver turnover is, a, is over 100%. And, and so even if good drivers are at a company when you were lucky enough to find them, six months later, they've all gone. They went somewhere else to be replaced by other drivers. So finding good carriers is really difficult to hold on to. It truly is. The owner of the company might be good, but his weakness is the drivers that are in the cabs. So cut a long story short, brokerage is trying to please two sets of parties that are both basically unpleasable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and you know, this, the, this story, it's a great story, a, a little bit similar to how Alvis came to be, uh, Nick, the, the founder, he was also an operator for a long time. And then he set out to, to build something for himself because nothing out there worked well for him. It was either too expensive or, or just not good enough. And, uh, and he set out to, to, to start building something, uh, for himself. He wasn't a coder, uh, and that's just such a tremendous uh, advantage uh, that that you had, where uh, you were building video games uh, as a kid, and it sounds all fun, uh, but uh, building video games is probably one of the most difficult engineering challenges out there. And uh, I'm sure there were that terrible video out. games, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, uh, uh, I'm sure that uh, that experience was helpful when you guys started coding. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned, uh, also, this is something that, uh, that I'm finding to be very, very important is for the developer to understand the business. And, uh, um, and, and you said you, you had some, uh, you had a team, uh, that you brought over from the, the brokerage operation, uh, these yeah, coders. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, my CTO, uh, Justin Heath and my COO today, uh, Chris Parker, both came from the brokerage operation and they've been, uh, you know, working there for 10 years ish. Um, so wow. understood the business, uh, both on the asset side and the brokerage side. So, you know, their apprenticeship was that 10 years plus, you know, with the brokerage. Um, and so what we do now is when we bring people on, we either try to find somebody that, that came from a world where they've served their apprenticeship. So they might come from another brokerage or a carrier or some kind of world where they learn the difference between a, a company driver and an operator. If you talk to a you talk to a, um, uh, an IT person and the first question you ask is, what's the difference between an owner operator and a company driver? If they don't know that, you probably want to move on to somebody else because that's one of the most basic things, right, in transportation. Or ask them what's the difference between a trucking company and a freight broker. If they don't know that uh, and they can't give you a half decent answer, they might be great at coding, but you might want to move on for somebody else to, to be your core. However, um, there are instances where you can hire somebody that isn't uh, familiar with the industry if it's for a very specific project. So uh, several years ago, we made uh, a big decision that we were going to move toward microservices and put all of our uh, functions and features on microservices so that when anything broke, it didn't break everything else behind it or in front of it. And so 
uh, we specifically hired a person that their job was simply to take existing functionality and to take that out and build it into a microservice and connect it to the other microservices. For that is, is a robotic type of mentality. You don't need to understand transportation. We hired another guy about a year ago. We're on our, right now, this is our second iteration of Ascend. We're working on our third. We've got two choices here, right? One is to just keep milking the cow till it dies. You know, we're making fantastic money, um, you know, millions of dollars a year in profit. But if we don't, if we, if we rest on laurels and we just think that nothing's going to happen in the future to hurt us, we'll be stupid. So about a year ago, Ascend 3.0 started to be written. And we have a guy that all he does is, is taking some of the newer technologies that we've identified and once again is reskinning the, the system around those technologies. And um, so, again, they don't need to really understand transportation. They're learning along the way. That's their apprenticeship, but they don't need to understand the business like, like I or Chris or Justin do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're kind of facing the same uh, same challenges where uh, uh, we'd like to have a subject matter expert on board. So we try to get people that are in the industry. We have, for example, uh, one of our product managers, he actually used to be a driver, a dispatcher, all those things. And uh, we kind of poached him from one of our own tenants. And now, now he works for us. And, and so he's, he's great because he knows the business. He works directly with the engineers. Uh, to make sure they get the features right. Also on the support side, if somebody's having an issue, he's usually able to identify it. But then at the same time, uh, he alone can't be a project manager because being a project manager isn't that easy. Uh, it, it takes a certain type of skill that's uh, uh, outside of any particular industry. And so we have to balance these things, just like you need a guy that just does the, 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 the tech uh, and, and the same thing for project management. We want to have subject matter experts, but we also want to have people that are experienced in the project management in, in general. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. You know, we have uh, project managers and all they do is, is write uh, SOWs, statements of work or scope of work. Um, we don't write a line of code for any new feature unless the scope of work is written. The scope of work usually takes longer than the actual coding takes. Right. Um, the reason we do that is, when you do a scope of work, the partner that we're working with um, will see essentially a multi-page blueprint of what the end product will look like. Screenshots, they'll see the logic, they'll see the if this and that kind of format of, of what happens if something uh, is pressed. They will see uh, the UX and UI design. They'll see the color palette of the things. And then when they sign that document, that document then is then assigned to a programmer, but the programmer doesn't even know that they're going to get that until that is signed by our partner um, or the person that we're doing that feature for. And we found that it's, you know, it's the old measure twice, cut once theory, uh, but we take it a step further. It's measure three times and cut once because um, once that has been signed off, if anybody at that partner uh, says to us, oh, well, we thought it was going to be X, Y, and Z. We say, oh, look at page 17 here or page four. This is what we all agreed to. And it stops scope creep from happening. Yeah. Oh, understood. 